good morning. I'll explain this in a minute, um, but we're in Genesis chapter 34. I want to read some of those, but would you stand as we read the Word of God together here at home? I hope you have your Bibles. Uh, we want to be in those as often and as much as we can, because every time we are, God is speaking to us. It's His Word. So in Genesis chapter, this is part two of what's turned into now a three-part little series on two wrongs, one right. So in Genesis 34, it's the story of Dinah who is Jacob's daughter who was raped, as we'll read here, and what happened because of that. So Dinah, the daughter of Leah, this is verse 1 of Genesis 34, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. He raped her. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because... He had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. Now, verse 25. Now, it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, full brothers and sisters, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. So, Lord, we pray again your blessing over the word now. We love it, Lord. We, we pray your Holy Spirit be able to take the things that here and the things I prepared, break them fresh, give us ears to hear, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, and if you're sitting at home, you can stay seated. <laughs> uh, I put this, I asked Garrett, actually, I, I had a little, little different kind of idea, but we'll, we'll go with this for this morning. Because, because of all the things that are going on, in our nation right now, and that we're trying to deal with, I thought it would be better if I was sitting and just sharing. And my feet always hurt anyway, so this is a good excuse for that. (laughs) Uh, I had the idea of a little living room. So we're in our our living room this morning, so we can share together of some of these things that I'm going to give to you, but I'm I'm sharing the Word of God with you, and I, I love to load it up with that. But we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And how does that work, and how do we do that? We're also to stay knit together as one. So in this whole, I also had the idea of having another chair that's empty, just so we remember that Jesus is here. We're not doing this in a vacuum. God the Son is here. So that's why I want to sit in just these next couple of weeks and talk to you from my heart on some things. But I also am going to give you a lot of Scripture because I think that as long as we have the Word of God, we're going to be just fine. As long as we're anchoring things, we're talking about things, we're coming back to God's Word uh, he is the one. So, again, this is a two-part message. It's two, number two of what became a three-part. So if you haven't heard the first one from last week, I hope you'll get that. Listen to it. I'm going to go a little over that, but uh, not a lot just because of time. So as we looked at last week, there are three things in this chapter as far as two wrongs and one right. Emotions can go wrong. So I surrendered to my anger. Really, this is about anger. A lot of anger. Uh, and anger is a powerful emotion. It can be good and it can be bad. Uh, And then secondly, intentions can be wrong when I choose to avenge myself, as we'll look at next week, this whole idea of vengeance. And then third, attention, God is always right. Can you say amen? So get used to it. (laughs) God is always right. I choose instead to surrender to God. So the other thing I asked last week, and I'm going to take it this week and next, is God is always right. Are there any questions? And I would say there are lots of questions that we all have, particularly as we're thrust into these things. So as Christians, 
we must answer these questions together. Because if we don't, we will not have any answers. Neither will the world. Jesus said that they may be one, that the world may know that you sent me, that the world may know that you love them as you have loved me. So in Ephesians 4, again from last week, but I want to read it again. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, notice, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. How does that work? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And here it is, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We are serving the same God. There is only one God, and there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord. And may the Lord help us to stay under his headship in everything, not only the church, our marriages, you name it, we need to stay under the headship of Christ. So I want to begin, first of all, by commending you, my church family. I want to commend you for the unity and support that I've seen, in spite of differing convictions, which we should expect. This endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit has been on full display. It certainly is not perfect. Sorry about that, but I'm part of your family. That's why. <laughs> but I have experienced a sincere openness, willingness, and, cor- and courageousness. And so I say to you that I appreciate you, I brag on you, and I celebrate you with others. I share this because some have wondered if we are having division and infighting among our church family. We will do whatever it takes to leave no wiggle room for the devil to take advantage of us. And we should expect that he will try to. We are not to be ignorant of his devices, which is to cause discord, to cause divisions by lies, by accusations, and a lot of that's mental, and by assumptions. And we have to be careful of the assumptions that we make. I want to be very clear. We are, I am available to spend whatever time is needed to listen, to talk, to ask and, an, to ask and answer questions, to endeavor, to endeavor together to be overcomers. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life unto death. So these have been difficult times. I think you could say amen to that. And it's been both exhilarating and exhausting. Our faith and love are being tested, and we can be thankful to God for that. So in these difficult times, we're doing our best to navigate them in the ever-changing dynamics. It's almost day-to-day. We're collaborating for wisdom to make tough decisions. Our church family has been prayerful, insightful, supportive, and caring. And so I say to you, thank you. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be a part of our family. There are differences. Our, test is, our, te- our faith is being tested. It's being refined. And it's being purified. That's what happens in temptations and trials. There are differences of perspectives. There are differences of opinions. We will not be afraid of this. Could you say amen to that? We will not be afraid of this. We will be better for them if we can allow the Holy Spirit. And the testimony that we've experienced is that in this ever-tense environment, we don't have all the answers, but we are one in Christ. So we need the collaborative expression of unity as we endeavor to be examples, not only to the world, but to one another. So our church family is healthy, growing, 
and maturing. And I'm thankful for that. We can all together say, thank you, God, for what you are doing in us, through us, with us, around us, and not in spite of what's going on, but because of what God's allowed to happen in the world, in our nation. Now, I would also say if you're a visitor, this is our living room this morning. We invite you into our home. Welcome. We endeavor to so love you as Jesus so loves you by loving one another and staying true to his word. So two wrongs, one right. And this is America's Independence Day yesterday. So on July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress agreed upon the content of the Declaration of Independence. Two days later, on July 4th, the document was signed. By signing the Declaration of Independence, the delegates were putting their lives on the line. If they were to lose the war for independence, then the British government would execute them in a very painful and nasty way. That is when Benjamin Franklin said, we must all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall hang, all hang separately. So I say, let's endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We must all hang together. Would you say amen to that? So I am sobered, honestly. I'm sobered by the demise of our nation, a direct result of the growing rejection of the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. I never thought I would see such unrestrained hostility, the destroying of property, yes, but infinitely more sobering is the destroying of the principles which God has promised to be a blessing but when forsaken, will bring a curse. Are you with me? Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any, listen, people who make up nations. Second Chronicles 7, 14. You know it well from the National Day of Prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. To pray is not an escape from reality. To pray is the expectation that God will intervene in our realities. There are many, there are many crisis prayers in the Bible. You ever have a crisis prayer? <laughs> I love Peter's. Lord, I'm sinking. <laughs> it's a great prayer. So would you agree with me as I take one of Daniel's prayers to pray for our nation? Let me read it. This is Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. Would you bow your heads and just pray? Oh, Lord, according to all right, your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away. And he says here, from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, we are reproached to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine in your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations 
and, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of, our, of your great mercies. Head bowed. Let's continue. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city, your people, who are called by your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I see the corruption of evil and the injustices and lawlessness, when I see the anger, hatred, and violence the human heart is capable of, and I have not personally experienced it to any degree as others have, it is still very disturbing. When I see evil paraded as good, when I see people putting darkness for light, I scream, I react, I get angry at such things, and we should, it's terrible. But many a time, my reactions and responses are sinful, even if hidden from sight. Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Jesus said, you have heard it said, it was said by those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Take note. Most of the word danger is the word anger. It's de-anger. Anger is dangerous if not brought under the Holy Spirit's rule. And we are seeing it full scale in many ways. When I see my carnal, selfish, sinful tendency, I realize that not only the fallen world around, but I myself am still a man in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. I realize again how desperate I am for a power beyond myself. A power that comes from above. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I realize again my own deficits in presenting my members as slaves of righteousness to God. I realize again I still have a lot of growing up to do. Would you say amen with me? That God still has a lot of work to do in this sinful nature to overcome this sinful nature. Here's what Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. God, draw me to yourself in such a way that you can do what you want to do in my life, in my heart. And when I see the cross, I see God's love for me. I see his love for the whole world. I hear Jesus crucified saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I hear Jesus declaring in death, it is finished. The death, the debt is paid in full. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. One day, <laughs> when I see Jesus in glory, I don't know what song's going to be going on, but this is the one I'm thinking of now. And then with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. 
Can't wait, right? But back to our present reality. Emotions can go wrong. I, choose, I surrender to my anger. Intentions can be wrong. I choose to avenge myself. Attention, God is always right. I choose instead to surrender to God. God is always right. I tell myself, get used to it. God is always right. Any questions? You see, this ugly Bible story raises questions. Interesting, our current problem raises the same questions. Let me give them to you. We want to talk about. Let's talk about our individual accountability to God. We'll talk about that this morning. Let's talk about our governing authorities as appointed by God. Let's talk about the abuse of vengeance as being divinely wrong. Let's talk about the use of violence against another human being. This morning, let's talk about our individual accountability to God. It does not matter that Shechem was the son of a prince of the country. He had status. Neither does it matter that Simeon and Levi were righteously angry. What matters is what is what they did right in the eyes of God or is it sin? Individual accountability is foundational to the gospel. It's no wonder the devil strategizes to obliterate this as a truth a person must think about. We are individually accountable to God. So the Bible tells us that sin is fundamentally a revolt against God's authority. It is a seeking, Romans 1, to rob God of his glory. It is a transgression of God's law. It is a violation of God's character. We do not merely become sinners by our sin. We are born sinners. There is not a single human being after Adam who has to do, who has to do anything to achieve the status, if you want to call it that, of being a sinner, unquote. That's Albert Moeller. Sin is the wrong we cannot make right in and of ourselves. We must have a Savior. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins shall die. Romans says, the wage of sin is death. 1 John says this, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the what? Whole world. Here's what propitiation is. It's the love of God in sending Jesus. It is the wrath of God in sacrificing Jesus on the cross and releasing the mercy of God where we can be saved by Jesus. That's propitiation. The love of God satisfying the wrath of God and releasing the mercy of God. The gospel, I continue with Albert Moeller, is the great good news of God's salvation of sinners through the atonement accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that those who come to believe in him have our sins forgiven. Would you say amen? 
Our sin is imputed to Christ on the cross. His righteousness is imputed to us by faith. That is the great good news of the gospel. What an exchange. To all who call upon his name, who come to believe in him, unquote. Revelate, uh, Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall, you will be saved for the, with the heart one believes under right. In other words, in my heart, I must come to understand I do not have the righteousness to save me from my sin. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's linear. That's the gospel. Have you made your confession? Those are watching, those here. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Because that is your only hope to be saved from sin, death, and hell. No social gospel, no social justice, no cause or movement, however right, can save you from your hopeless condition as a guilty and condemned sinner who must answer to a just and holy God. You can't know the good news until you understand the bad news. The good news is the gospel that answers the question of the bad news. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4. This is the stone, Jesus, which, the, which was rejected by you builders, Israel, which has become the chief cornerstone. Without it, you don't have the building. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we what? Must be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 There is one God and how many mediators? One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, capital M, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And my friends, it's still being testified. He is the payment. He's the ransom price for our sin. Now, we're talking here about accountability to God. Jesus said, There's only one unforgivable sin. Only one. Matthew chapter 12. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The evidence of Jesus' deity. Verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You can no longer be neutral about Jesus. He's God, demonstrated to be so. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. I am saying to you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, Our message is one of impossibility except Christ came and died on the cross to make a person's salvation possible. The only way. The unpardonable sin is rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only Savior, the only name by which we must be saved. 
That's good news. Jesus said in John chapter 16, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come in our lives, send the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin. What's the sin? Because they believe not in me. I want to remind you of these things, fellow brothers, remind you of the simplicity and power of the gospel. This is foundational to everything that we're experiencing today. The answer is the gospel. The answer is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And from there, the changed life becomes the change in society. By receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, being in Christ, we read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God through the cross. We have been forgiven of our sins. We've been in a right relationship with God. God reconciled to us, us to himself. He gave us a miraculous new life in which he is transforming us in the image of Jesus Christ for the in, from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't start on the outside. From the inside out, he transformed. The need we have, first of all, is for the gospel to be received. God's forgiveness to be received. His Holy Spirit to be given to us. Filled with the Holy Spirit, a new creation in Christ. And from, from salvation, aren't you thankful for this? From salvation, God does the work that he wants to do in our lives as we yield to him, as we obey him. That's not what I was hearing growing up. It's not that it wasn't preached this way. But what I was hearing, no, you got to go to church. Uh, no, no, you got to keep the sacraments. Oh, no, no, and, and every week then, back to the altar. No, 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 our salvation is through what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Done deal. You need to say amen. Okay? Now, this does not absolve us from having to give account for how we live our lives. Just the opposite because of what Jesus has done for us, our lives should show the fruit of the love that Jesus demonstrated to us. Our lives should be lived with radical difference. The most radical difference this world has ever known is the gospel. Nothing to compare. When we die as believers... We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation or reconciliation. That's already taken care of. But for examination and reward according to how we lived. Paul wrote about this to the believers in Corinth, beginning with our death. 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if this earthly tent our, if this, this earth, our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. That's our body. We know that when this body is done, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, what? Eternal in the heavens. I can't wait for my new one. How about you? You know what? I really don't think we're going to have to work out. Now, let me go to 2 Corinthians. That, that's the beginning of the chapter. I want to go now through 2 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore... We're going to die. We're going to stand in judgment of Christ. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are all but we are all well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. You with me? Let's read what Paul wrote leading up to this verse. Therefore we make it our aim. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have received this ministry, what ministry? As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, the ministry of reconciliation. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, the gospel, that's our ministry, whose minds the God of this world age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine on them. We have an adversary in our mission, our commission, our great commission. For we do not preach ourselves. I say, amen. <laughs> we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard, here it is, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Are we not experienced? These are the things that we're talking about. The gospel and our ambassadorship and what we're called to do as believers. These is what we can expect, these things. But listen, through the gospel and our relationship with God, these things are going to happen, yes. But listen, it's not the end. Can I hear an amen? It's not the end. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. It's not easy to live in this world. It's not easy to live in a, in a country that's forsaken God, has, wants, doesn't even want to hear about God anymore. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then sin is working... Uh, excuse me, death is working in us, but life in you. Let's continue. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. There is coming a resurrection. For all things are for your sake. Paul's speaking to his brothers. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, listen, next verse. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inner, inward man is being renewed day by day. It's not month to month and week. No, day by day. For our light affliction, 
which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Bad chapter break. For we know that if our earthly tent is dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In these things we groan, we groan, we groan. Brothers and sisters, let us take heart. In the midst of all that's going on, we have the answer in Christ and the gospel. We've received those things. So yes, we can expect a contrary world to be against us. We can expect the forces of darkness to be aligned against us. But greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. Would you say amen? Therefore, we do not lose heart. We know that of our earthly tent, when I die, this is just a tent, it's temporary. When I die, there's glory coming. So it's worth every frailty that I might experience. It's worth every weakness. It's worth every trial that I might go through because God, my heavenly Father, knows best. And he wants to reach a world with the same thing he reached us with and changed our lives radically. Paul wrote to the Romans, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach what? The gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. Now feet don't do the talking. They just get you there so you can. The words of Jesus to his disciples after the Samaritan woman's conversion. Verse 35 of John chapter 4. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? In other words, do you not say, you, you know when the harvest is coming, four months away, three months away, two months, oh, almost, almost there. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So let's talk about individual accountability to God. The question is, first of all, have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will deny, also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess him before my Father and before his angels. He's mine. Now, faith in the gospel. Now, I look out here. I can't see through the camera, but I know there also. Most of us have confessed Jesus as Lord. We have received God's free gift of eternal life. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. We worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We know Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And God's people said, Amen.
His authority has been given to us, and we are to go out with the Great Commission, not a great suggestion, the Great Commission. So how, the question then is, how is Jesus' go, therefore, going? How is it going? You see, the most radical difference this world has ever known is the gospel. Therefore, the more radical the world becomes, the more radical becomes the gospel. The darker the night, the lighter, the brighter the light. Let me just give you a, a, a little synopsis in the therefores that I just read through. Therefore, since we have this ministry, which is the light of the gospel, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore speak. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outman is perishing. For we know that if our earthly house is dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Therefore, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we pick up. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When Jesus said, go therefore, how's it going? How are we doing? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That's our message. What a tremendous message in the midst of such darkness. We must re-centralize the gospel and the ministry of reconciliation. It's foundational. Whatever's going to happen in that world out there in which we live, it begins with God moving in people's hearts to bring them to salvation. So Colossians, I close here. Verse 19. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. You've seen Christ. You've seen God. And by him, capital H, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now to him who was able to present us before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude, that we, we've memorized him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There is no other hope for our lives and for the world than through the gospel. You might move away and live somewhere else, but listen, brothers and sisters, we cannot move away from the gospel that gives us life itself. It's God's message of seemingly foolishness that's the power unto salvation. 
Don't move away from the truth and the hope that's in the gospel of Christ. It needs to be foundational to everything that we're waging war against, to every hope that we have to see change, to anything that's going to happen. Foundational is what happened in our lives must happen in other people's lives. And it's one by one, by one by one, by one by one. The most radical difference this world has ever known is the gospel. Therefore, the more radical the world becomes, the more radical the gospel is. I say let's out-radical a radical world with the gospel. Let's be zealous for Christ, what he's accomplished for us. Let us be bold by being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to example and then expound and then preach the gospel. Here's a quote I'll leave you with from David Platt, who wrote a book called Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. The book he wrote. Here's the quote. My biggest fear even now is that I will hear Jesus' words and walk away content to settle for less than radical obedience to him. Unquote. Unquote. 